Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Sarah, we need to replace our 2018 team word with our 2019 word. Oh, yeah. No more expand. Now we're exploding. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 19 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we're dedicating the entire episode to our mailroom segment. We'll answer all your questions about the entertainment business. Yes, thanks to all of you for asking questions about the biz, as they say, via Facebook and email. We'll take a deep dive into all things entertainment. And if you haven't joined our Facebook group already, please search for Happier in Hollywood and click to join. And be sure to post your mailroom questions there or send us an email to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. We love answering mailroom questions. All right. First, Liz, we have a quick update. Your sister, Gretchen Rubin, is launching a new online course. Yes. My sister and co-host of Happier is launching an online course called The Happiness Project Experience. Of course, she wrote the book, The Happiness Project, 10 years ago. And for years, people have been wanting some sort of course um, about how to do their own happiness project. And so it's finally happening. The Happiness Project experience gives structure and ideas to participants who want to create their own happiness projects. Over 12 months with video lessons, live calls, expert interviews, and more, this tool helps you identify the resolutions that will bring more happiness to your life and then helps you to keep those resolutions. But Sarah, because this is a year-long course, um, today is the last day to register. Oh, boy. If you don't register now, you're out. You know, you're <laughs> shut out of your happiness project oh, for no. 2019. So everyone register today, and we're going to post a link to register in our show notes. So you can go to happierinhollywood.com, click on the link, and register for the course. Very exciting. Yes, I finally— as you know, my happiness project, when I read that book, totally changed my life. I think yes. that's why I decided to become a mom on my own. It's why I have Violet. So, yes. you know, there's some life-changing stuff that can happen when you tackle a happiness project. Absolutely. It's wonderful. 
Okay, Sarah, let's get into the mailroom. Woohoo. So we've got all these great questions about the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will start with Christine. She wrote, I imagine the entertainment business is filled with a lot of no's. For every yes you've gotten, I'm sure there were many, if not hundreds, of no's. Any tips on handling professional disappointments and how to avoid them creeping into your personal life? Really great question, Christine. Yes, yes. Because, of course, yes, definitely, probably hundreds of no's for every yes. Well, not really. And what we do. If you're an actor, that very well may be true. Jenna Fisher said 50 no's for every yes. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of no's. I mean, a lot of it is your job is to take no's. I mean, I think that that advice from Jenna Fisher is so great when she's like, when you get a no, just think you're ca- you're you're, <laughs> you're banking more no's to get to a yes. And mm-hmm. so you don't see it as a failure. See it as working toward a yes. Yes. It's a step toward that yes. Um, and for us, I don't know, every time we do something, we learn something from it, even if it doesn't move right. forward. Yeah. And I think also it's it's just over time you realize there's always something else. Yeah, there's always something else. And also, like, things happen for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, recently you and I really wanted a property. Yeah. Desperately. And we didn't get it. Somebody mm-hmm. else got it. And, you know, it's like there were reasons why that person got it. It made total sense. We didn't take it personally. Yes, we were disappointed we didn't get the property, but, you know, like, we got other properties. And by property, you mean intellectual property in in business parlance, entertainment business parlance. Uh, Property is like a podcast, a book, um, an article. Yes. All of these things just get snapped up and turned into TV and movies. Yeah. Okay, and then most of the time, no's are not personal. They're because a business has some goal that isn't aligned with something you want to do. It's because someone else happens to have the friend who talks to the so-and-so who gets you the thing. Sometimes it's because the other person is better than you. (laughs) Yes. You know, and that's okay. And I think the thing to realize, if you want to be in the entertainment business, and this I'm sure goes for any business, the no's aren't going to stop. So just because you become successful doesn't mean you stop hearing no. So if you're a person who can't handle that, you know, you need to reevaluate. Right. Yes. Do something else. You're right. If you if you can't handle just an onslaught of no's, yeah. this is probably not the right career. Yeah. Sadly. But most people can. I mean, and I think also over time, you build a level of resilience. Yes. In the beginning, it is much harder to take a no. And now we just go, oh, well, for the most part anyway. We go, oh, well, and we move on. Yeah, and as for it creeping into your personal life, again, I think the more times you've heard no, the more, the the less it registers and ruins your day. You know, of course, there was a time when if we heard a no, we would be downcast for a week. Now if we hear a no, I mean, I wouldn't even probably mention it to Adam. It doesn't even, (laughs) you know what I mean? It literally doesn't even get on my radar. Yeah. So it's just a matter of practicing, you know, the, uh, the experience of no. Yeah. Okay, and then Courtney had a question. She asked, could you explain the term breaking a story and what goes into that? That's funny, Sarah, because we say that all the time, of course, breaking a story as if everyone knows what that means. 
Um, what it means is figuring out an episode sort of scene to scene. What is the story of an episode? We call it breaking because we break it into like 50 scenes. And into the parts of those scenes. Yes. Like you really take a whole big story, a whole episode, and break it down into its smallest parts. Yes. And then it can take days or, in some cases, weeks to break one story. And some are harder to break than others. Um, some break our back as we are trying <laughs> to do it. Some break us. <laughs> yeah, some break us. And that's when we talk about being in the writer's room all the time. That's what we're doing in the writer's room. We're breaking stories. And then when it's time to write, people go off and write them. But that is what breaking a story is. And then, Sarah, this question comes from Vivian. She says, it's probably different now that you have your own show, but when you were on someone else's show and had to be in a writer's room that was going all the time, how did you find time to work on your own material and balance that with the other aspects of your life? Did you wake up at 5 a.m. every morning, set aside a lot of time on weekends, or find some other strategy? I don't think we did any of that. I think when we were on a show... Mostly we focused on the show. The only exception that I can think of is when we were on The Shield Uh, and we wrote two young adult books at the same time. That's right. Because we were a writing team on a cable show without that many episodes a year. Yes. Um, We did not make enough money money to survive. Yeah. So um, then, yeah, I would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to write. I don't know when you were doing it, but I, and I would be, I would read things later and be like, who the hell wrote that? Like, no, I, we I would didn't have even remember. No idea if I wrote something. <laughs> well, the only reason we knew is because we sort of broke things into characters. Yeah. So we knew, like, who wrote what character. But we were both in fugue states <laughs> when we wrote those books. Yeah. That was brutal. It was brutal. And then I think on our very first show, All About Us, which was a Saturday morning live action show, uh-huh. I believe we wrote our Oz spec on the oh, side wow. because we were desperate to move into um, prime time and mm-hmm. we needed a great spec. And so I think that was another time. Um, and that was in like 2001. Yeah, and our writing group was instrumental in that. Yeah, I mean, they really, they were our accountability group. They kept us yes. moving and motivated, yes. and they gave us really great notes so yes. that that script didn't suck. But it, but it, in general, when we're on a show, I mean, it's usually pretty all-consuming, yeah. um, and we don't want to shortchange the showrunner. So we sort of keep our other work to a minimum. Although now... If we're on another show, like on For the People, we did that three days a week. Right. Like we can say, we have other stuff. Yes. We can only do this three days a week. Yes. So now we can sort of build that into our contract. Yeah. I mean, one good thing about television is that it's seasonal. So you could be on a show for a season but have three months off to do your own stuff. Right. So if you're at a level where you're getting onto a staff, I'm saying for a lower level staff writer. Mm -hmm. Um, There will be time to do your own stuff. Um, But, you know, I know a lot of people do work on the weekends. I mean, Jane Espenson, um, (laughs) who's an amazing writer, she's always writing something. She works all the time. So I think the key is if you really want to do it, you'll find a way. But if you can't, if you just need to focus on the show, that's fine, too. Oh, and then Erica has a great question, Liz. She asks... What are some qualities of a script you can't put down? Mm. 
That is a good question. Well, one thing we always say about reading scripts is that if the first five pages aren't great, we're not going to keep reading. So one thing I look for is a great first five pages. Um, But what makes a great first five pages? I think something really bold and different. Just surprise people. Like, really, that's ultimately it, right? Because we read so many scripts it's really hard to surprise us, I think, at this point. So if I read something that is not exactly what I expected, mm-hmm. I'm in. And then this sounds very basic, but good writing. Yeah. I mean, write a sentence well. I think we say this all the time, but, like, you need to be able to write a sentence to be a writer. Yeah, it's really, in some ways, this question is really more like, what not to do not to do yeah because there are so many barriers liz always says this and it's true like people don't want to read stuff nobody wants to read anything nothing yeah so it's like just get rid of all the barriers to entry which is stuff like bad formatting like or or too many words on the page yeah like, we like to read something that just skims along very quickly. If there's too many words on the page, my eyes just go dead. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to read all those words. Yeah. So keep it moving. Yeah. So get rid of all the kind of barriers to entry yeah. and then have really great characters and surprises. Yeah. That makes for a script we can't put down. Yes, it does. And there are those that come across our way. Few and far between. We do read a whole script. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Okay, Liz, coming up, we are going to share what we named our companies and why. But first, an ad break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Sarah, Megan has a fun question. She says, I know established writers have LLCs or S-Corps. What name did you both choose for your companies? And how, why did you choose those names? I feel like it's always interesting to see what people choose and whether it's reflective or meaningful of them or not. So this is a great question. I know, I love it. Your company is called Lucky Enough. Yes. Um, And that, I've talked about my um, family's 
property on Lake Vermilion in northern Minnesota before. In our house, I guess it's my house now, um, (laughs) in my house on Lake Vermilion, my mom got a plaque that says, if you're lucky enough to have a house by the water, you're lucky enough. Uh, so lucky enough. I love that. Yes. That you're is why. lucky enough. That's right. And what about you, Liz? Your company is called Paco and Blackjack. Yes. And it's called that because when I first met Adam, we were writers on The Shield, and we were just chatting in the writer's room. And I had said that I would never marry anyone who had cats because I'm <laughs> allergic to cats. And I would be like, I could never live with cats. And he sort of took offense to that because he had two cats. So I didn't know at the time he was interested in me and he was very, like, downcast by the idea that I would never be (laughs) with someone who had two cats. And he, like, just that in his mind, it would never happen between us because he had cats. And the cats' names are, well, were Paco and Blackjack. Paco is no longer with us, but Blackjack is still alive and running around. (laughs) Um, And so when we got married and I started the company, I called it Paco and Blackjack after the cats as sort of a statement of my love for him and his cats. And some people actually have thought that you named your son Jack after Blackjack. Yes, totally different. (laughs) Jack is named after my dad, whose name is Jack. But yes, it's true. We have a cat named Blackjack and a son named Jack. And a company named Paco and Blackjack. Yes. (laughs) All right. So thank you for that question, Megan. Um, Diane has a question. She says, I always wonder where did it start to go wrong when there's a bad movie or sitcom? I imagine a writer's room where the false positives feed on each other, if that makes sense. It does, Diane. But is that really where it starts or is it usually a too many cooks problem? Mm. Well, there's many answers to this question. Um, One way it can go wrong is just in the very premise of a show. Right. Sometimes a show just simply should not exist, and yet somehow it works its way up the chain, maybe because there's someone big attached. That's usually the reason why a show goes when it shouldn't. Or— I think often there's like a big hook that makes for a good pilot, but that shouldn't be a show. Yes. And we try to avoid those shows. When we look at a show and go, oh, my God, what's episode two or three or four? That's when we just run. Yeah. (laughs) Screaming from a project. Run for the hills. And I do think that there are times when there is sort of a false positive, you know, feedback loop where things spiral out of control. Often that happens when there's a showrunner that people are sort of afraid to disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. Some showrunners just like to be told yes. They like to be flattered. I mean, the amount of flattery some people need is, oh, is bottomless. Exhausting. Um, and so it can happen that whatever they say, everybody laughs at, even if they privately don't think it's funny. Yeah. Or in the case of a drama, everyone says, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, so that's nice about having a team is I think we're somewhat uh, more safe from that happening because we always at least can disagree with each other. Right. <laughs> um, Hopefully people don't feel like they have to agree with us. I think people always do to a certain extent, but we would rather that they didn't. Yes. Genuinely. Uh, Yes, because we want the best show possible. Yeah. And then there's also sometimes a too many cooks problem, although 
I feel like that happens once things get out to the wider world of studio network. Uh And then you have, like, the show, the studio, the network, and everyone wants it to be something different. Yes. That definitely causes problems. We've been on shows where there just isn't basic agreement about what the show is. Is it funny? Is it scary? Is it suspenseful? (laughs) Is it a character? Is it procedural? And when all these things, when people are arguing over the very basic idea of a show, it kind of has no shot yeah. at success. Yes. And I, for the record, that is not the case for The Fix. No. One of the great joys of working on The Fix has yeah. been that us, the studio, the network, and Mandeville were all in 100% agreement on what the show was. And we've never um, had any disagreement about that. And that's made it not, well, all shows are difficult. It's it's made it much less difficult. Yes. And benefited the show tremendously. Yes. All right, Sarah, our next question is from Hannah, and I think she's experiencing something a lot of people experience. Yes. Hannah wrote, how do I structure my resume to avoid confusion? I'm 28. Am I too old to start in a mailroom? Starting at the bottom and working my way up is a path I'm confident in and willing to follow, but do I need to start from a different launch pad? Well, Sarah, we were 28 when we moved here. Um, now, I will say we did not take the traditional route of starting as in the mailroom or as like a writer's assistant. We got on to a staff, um, yes. which in retrospect is just is crazy. So insane. But I will say it took years. Yeah. And we had a huge advantage that most people don't have, which is one of our best friends from high school was an agent. So you can't count on that. No, you um, can't. But we did not take the traditional launch pad. But Although I was an assistant. I you did. were. To yes. A, yes. It, but they didn't well, indirectly. It did actually indirectly, in a weird way lead. Indirectly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, as to can you start in the mailroom, which I think is a great place to start, the answer is yes. Absolutely. Um, and Mary says that when she was in the mailroom at an agency, she was 21 or 22, and a, most of her coworkers were as well. But the older, I don't know, what do you call them? Mailroom workers. Mailroom denizens. <laughs> Some of them were in their late 20s, and she says that they often got desks faster, agent desks, um, faster than the people who were in their early 20s. That's definitely a viable route. Yeah, and she also said that if you're in your later 20s, you're probably less likely to get caught up in the mailroom drama, um, personal dramas going on, which I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah, and I wouldn't worry about sort of structuring your resume because you do have great experience and you have a base level of knowledge, a tremendous amount of knowledge, actually, not a base level, a lot of knowledge that could come in really handy. Yeah. And what I would say, though, is if you really want to be a TV writer or a movie writer, you could move out here and get drawn into the same thing, which is just getting full on into the production side, because it'll be much easier for you to get jobs in production. You know, so keep your eye on what you really want to do. Right. Get that job. Get in a writer's group. Write your scripts. Get everything lined up network so you can get a manager or an agent. All that good stuff. Just 
Stay on that path. Yes. Eye on the prize. And then we got an email from Catherine who asked, (laughs) one thing you've mentioned a couple times is that having a law degree can be an advantage to a writer. I graduated from law school a few years ago and am pondering a career change. Since I would be older than the average person starting out, I'm in my early 30s, I was wondering exactly why having a law degree can be helpful to a TV writer. Well, I mean, one reason is because there are a lot of law shows. Yes. And you... One thing TV writers don't know is the law unless you've gone to law school. So that can make you very valuable to a staff. Like any law show needs to have some lawyers on staff. One thing you need to do, though, if you want to transition, and this is true for anybody who wants to do anything, have a great script. And I know we've said this a million times, but I don't think we can say it often enough. Like, a law degree means nothing if you don't have a great script. Right, because the lawyers on staff, they're not just there for sort of law knowledge. Right. Um, it's a bonus when you're hiring. It gives you an added advantage, but only if your script is great to yes. start with. Yes, So if you're pondering a career change, the first thing I would do is write a script and see if it's good. Right. Get in a writer's group. Yes. And write a script. Yes. Um, And then if, you know, if it is, you know, you'll take the normal course of action. I mean, there's no sort of place to register as a lawyer or something (laughs) to be like, oh, let's go look for a lawyer. It's all the usual ways to get in. But if you have a law degree, it can accelerate um, the path. Yeah. And I think think if you have a law degree, it's easier to get an agent or a manager as well. You may not have to do the whole mailroom thing. Yes. Um, And we always said, funny enough, Sarah, when we were starting out, that we tried to approach getting a job as a TV writer like going to law school, where it was just like nose to the grindstone. Yeah. We didn't see it as fun and glamorous and touchy-feely. <laughs> we were just like, what do we have to do? We will do it. And we just grinded away, yeah. which is what we imagine people doing in law school. Luckily, neither of us went to law school. <laughs> so good luck, Catherine, um, on your possible career change. And finally, Sarah, Elliot wrote, I'd love to know your favorite TV shows of all time, but also what you think some of the best ever episodes of television are. What makes them so great? Mm. Uh, Well, my absolute favorite show of all time is Mad Men. I just love that show. Um, And I can point to what I think is the greatest episode of Mad Men Um, Which is the finale, the series finale. I almost fainted when I saw it. I thought it was so good. Um, The end of the show, the main character, Don Draper, has sort of lost himself, lost his way. And he's gone on this cross-country trip and ended up in California at like a hippie ashram. Spoiler alert, everyone. If you you don't want to know the end of Mad Men. Don't listen. (laughs) And you think that Don is at—he's sort of at the bottom, and then this—let's this, call it an ashram, for be- lack of a better word, or a hippie community. Anyway, he's there, and he's sort of climbing out of his hole, and you think, oh, my gosh, the end of the show is Don is giving up advertising. He's realizing that things are more important than money and <laughs> New York and all of that status. And then he's meditating, and suddenly he smiles in the meditation, and you cut to the actual famous ad for Coke, I'd like to teach the world to sing. 
And in the show, Don has come up with this ad based on this community. And it, you see the whole thing unfolding that it's going to take him to the absolute top of advertising and be the most, the biggest ad of all time. And I thought it was just sheer genius. And I watched it like five times in a row. <laughs> so that's my favorite. And I have never seen it, but just listening to you kind of recount the ending, I feel like I have. It's so good. It's, it sounds truly amazing. I actually don't want to see it because I feel like it's <laughs> Could better never in my up. brain. I have to tell you, it, it uh, it's so good. <laughs> I, I recommend everybody look it up. Um, what about you? Well, Friday Night Lights is my favorite TV show of mm. all time. But I don't have an episode the way you do. You know, I just yeah. think the whole thing is, you know, next level amazing. I will say I think a very famous episode of TV um, is ER when a woman comes in to give birth and it seems like it's all going to be fine and she ends up dying. Mm. For some reason, that episode of TV seemed to really grip the audience um, in kind of a new way. I'm not sure because it was the realism of it. So well, I, I think th- it goes back to what we were saying earlier about surprise. Like, yes. you want stories to surprise you. Yes. And when that episode of ER happened, that was really revolutionary and yes. shocking. Yeah. And I think it's like any time when, a, like, a, hum- a universal sort of human experience is really tapped into, that mm-hmm. makes for a great episode of television. When a character is revealed in a new way, that makes for a great episode of tel- television, or when something shocking happens, like JR gets shot, that makes for a great episode of television. A lot of different things can make a great episode. It's just like for that show, what is the thing that will make it great? Well, I'm not going to top that. <laughs> Let's call it a day. All right. <laughs> And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thank you to everyone at Cadence 13. Thank you to our assistant, the amazing networker, Mary Merkins. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at sfain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. (laughs) We don't have to do more than that. That's enough, right? (laughs) I definitely don't have the perfect harmony.